Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss content amplification. My guest, Chad Pollitt, is a VP and co-founder of Revelance. He also serves as a VP of Marketing and Empowered. He published three books to date and frequently talks about content amplification. Listen to him as he gives some expert tips on how to amplify your content and make the most of it. So cool. Well, let's start off. Like, we'll just start off with the basics. Like, where did you grow up? Give us a little background about Chad. Where did little Chad grow up? Huh? I mean, tell us a little bit about that. So I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I grew up on the uh, southeast side. That quarter of the city is is known as is more or less a ghetto. I grew up very poor. I moved more times than what I can even count. I mean, mm-hmm. dozens of times. It was rough, man. I grew up as a minority in my community, which most people don't experience unless you are a minority. So it's funny. I did that. Mine was the same way. Mine growing up was I grew up in South Sac- Sacramento and I was one. I was a minority. I was, there was very few white people up at the, the elementary yeah. school that I went to and even the elementary school. So yeah. I'm very familiar with that. And people they don't know that about me, but that is definitely one of the weird fun facts. Yeah. Same thing with me, man. Which, by the way, I'm in San Fran every other week. So I'm over there. Sometimes I'm around your stomping ground. So yeah. I definitely know it. Uh, but, but yeah, that's my past. And you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy when you talk about that. I think culturally it, it's interesting to, to grow up like that. I mean, obviously we don't know any different, right? Because that's the way that we grew up. But I think looking back on it and having a different perspective on just how things, you know, life and stuff like that, I think it has become like my wife always jokes around um, and she jokes around about herself in the sense that she says, Hey, I can, you know, I can dress up and be in a ball gown and go here, or I can go and eat chicken wings and hang out and drink beers with the guys, you know? So it's like this kind of diversity thing that you see, you know, because of your background. And so I, I feel the same way. Like with my background, I appreciate, I grew up, I think a little, not a little tougher. I mean, I'd say like I'm some tough guy, but you know, because I kind of had to like figure things out, right. It was a little different. It wasn't quite as every day was kind of a new challenge. Cause I was going in and had to be, I mean, for me having a quick tongue and being funny and you know, your mom jokes actually helped out a lot when people were coming to attack me and then I would make fun of their mother and then they would say, wow, that guy's pretty fast. I don't want to make fun of him anymore. So that was, <laughs> that was, that would got me through, you know, and I was, I was so skinny, man. I was, I was like 110 grams in weight or something. Like, I mean, not even pounds. I was like a just a frail little guy, right? And so I, you know, I, I had to learn kind of how to adapt, right? And this has nothing to do with content marketing, but I had to learn how to adapt, right? How to like, to, to muscle through and get through that. And so it was interesting. But yeah, I, I wouldn't take, have it any other way. So uh, how big is your family? Like, you're, obviously you guys sounds like you moved a lot. Was it a military family or no? No, 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 no military family. So I have twin daughters. They're nine years old. They're awesome. They're my little princesses. Yeah. They're coming up. I'm trying to figure out that, you know, transferring to teenageness. <laughs> I'll pray so, for you, man. Yeah, yeah. But I'm working that. I live in Indianapolis. I have a, a pretty big house. I have a five-bedroom home. I take care of my uh, parents. They stay with me. Awesome. My stepdad is uh, handicapped, so he can't work. Then my nephew, I take care of my nephew. His parents have issues. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not to get into details, but they've been opioid addicts for a long time. Oh, wow. So I stepped in and um, I'm working through the state right now to get custody of my nephew. Nice. So that, that's something that's going on. But that, that's a side thing, family thing. But it's important for, for not just me, but for him and the rest of the family. 
That's awesome. So it's funny. So you, you know, and I looked at, obviously I know your background and it's, it's kind of crazy. I didn't think that was going to be even more layers to your background and things that you do. So like right when I think that there's, there's Chad up here and now the, the, the better things that Chad can do to help other people's lives, you just, you've gone tenfold on that. So that's awesome. So, Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, man. You're taking a lot on and you got with everything you got going on online and then even offline, it's kind of, that's awesome that you're able to manage that. So, so tell us a, like, Obviously, we know that you grew up as a minority being, you know, white in a, in a probably African-American neighborhood or whatever the neighborhood was. Tell us an interesting fun fact, any interesting stuff that people would say. I had no idea. I mean, is, do we even have enough time for that? Like, I don't know. You don't have to disclose everything. Like, I don't, you know, I mean, just give, dude, us, dude, give dude, us some fun dude, stuff. Dude. Okay. I'm going to freak you out. I know for yeah, yeah. sure. And hopefully I freak out your audience. That's the cool. So I'm actually an award-winning choreographer for hip hop and step dancing. Shut the front door. That's why I ask these kind of questions because you just never know what people are going to come. Keep going with this. We're, we're, we're going to dig deep on this one. So my nickname in high school was ABC, which stood for another bad Caucasian. Mm. And I was the, the trophy at the club that my dance group would throw out to punk somebody because I was a white guy that could dance. Yeah. And I'd go out there and I would literally destroy everybody. I went to college. I got into dance more, um, not professionally, but more organized. And yeah, so we won. My fraternity won a big, giant dance contest, and we won a giant award for it. In fact, to this day in my fraternity, we've got like a a four-foot trophy sitting in our, our formal because of the choreography I did. And that's just one example. There were several others, but... uh, I came up as a kid as the hip hop guy. <laughs> so that's so what's funny about it, so there are some parallels. Now I was a dancer too, and I I was probably not to your level, but it did I was the guy that would come in kind of like the white guy because they're like, you gotta be kidding me. It's, there's no way this guy knows how to dance. And I used to be able to get down. I used to be able to get down. So I used to nice. listen to a lot of hip hop and stuff. Nice. I don't I think I won any awards or anything, but I definitely came in as the red bearded guy that they're like, there's no way this guy has anything. <laughs> and I, you know, I'd, I'd break off a few things here and there. And people were like, Oh, okay, here we go. He's not only quick, you know, got a quick mouth on him, but he also can dance a little bit. So we'll leave this nice. guy alone this week. Nice. Yeah. And then I, you know, and then I, like I said, then I was able to gain some weight and be able to come in the pounds instead of grams, you know, because I was so excited. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's how it went down. Dude, but that's, you and I have so much in common. It, it is. It is kind of crazy. Yeah. Like I would have no idea. But this is the whole point of the podcast, right? Is you find out random facts about people that you're like, you got to be kidding me. Okay. So now other than being, you know, a hip hop dancer, other than teaching Britney Spears how to dance when she got older and all that fun stuff, where did you, you went to college, obviously in Indiana, right? Yeah, so I'm an Indiana University Kelly School of Business graduate. Uh, I was the second class to graduate with an entrepreneurship degree. Mm. It was new. Yeah. I actually got lucky enough to be able to teach there for three years, which is crazy. I mean, if the guys I went to college with, when they found out that I was teaching, it freaked them completely out. They're like, no, Paula's not teaching. But yeah, I did for three years. I taught uh, internet marketing to seniors that were getting ready to graduate. It was a 400 level class. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I stopped teaching that class is because of my travel schedule and my work. Which by the way, just so your your listeners know, I've been sick since uh, Thursday. (laughs) So I'm just getting over it now. So if if I sound a little blah, it's because I am a little blah. Yeah. 
No, no, I get it. I get it. So, so it's funny. So here we go to more parallels. I, we might, we need to figure out our parents' names because we might be related. I'm just trying to figure out like, I mean, there's, we should probably, you know, the reason why I'm saying that is I, I actually was teaching at UCLA and it was kind of the same deal. Like when my, when I originally got the call about the, about the opportunity, I thought it was my friends messing with me. And then when I told my friends later that I was teaching at UCLA, like nobody believed me. Like I had to like take pictures in the classroom and show them like a paycheck stub. Like, cause everybody's gotta be kidding me. Like you, you are not teaching the youth of America. And I go, I don't know how there was a glitch in the matrix. I don't know how they got a hold of me. I don't know who, who okayed this or, you know, who, but somehow it happened. So it's funny. Is it, so this is, we're going to talk about this because this is teaching in a university. Just tell me how different that is just in anything else in the world. I mean, I, I, for me at UCLA, it was like, a because I, I, my course was a three-hour course. So I would fly down to LA. I'm in Sacramento. I'd fly down to LA. It's a three-hour, 630 to 9.30 course. And it's just, man, you talk about, you know, putting the curriculum together. You don't realize, I have a newfound respect for instructors or professors. Oh, yeah. Right? Because you don't realize, I mean, you, we produce content, but like this is three hours, right? I mean, and then you got to, it's just trying to put that together and, and keep the attention span of people for three hours when there's, you know, internet and there's all the other fun stuff out there. I mean, it's, it was a, it was an interesting learning lesson. I mean, I'm still over at UCLA. I've, I've taken a few quarters off, kind of the same reason you did is because of the work schedule and trying to coordinate everything just becomes a challenge. But tell us a little bit about that. Like I'm teaching at the university. I mean, how was that? I mean, I know you did it for three years. I've only been doing it for about a year and a half now, but tell us about that experience. Like, well, how was your overall experience with that? Yeah. So actually, Actually, I still teach for Rutgers. So I went for three years teaching at two universities. So you're next level crazy. You're not even, you're not even, you just ran past me. Like I thought we might've been on the same plateau of crazy, but you just, now you're going to be the king and I'm going to be like the pawn or something. Okay. So you at two, huh? So I still teach at Rutgers. It's it's online. So it's, it's easy. All the lectures are pre-recorded. They just play them. People go through the course. I do once a semester, I do office hours virtually. So it's not the same. Yeah. At IU, I did a two hour and 40 minute lecture. It was straight up regular college. I mean, I'd show up once a week for the semester and then the next semester, so on and so forth. But anyway, so what I tried to do was bring as many guest lecturers in as possible. Because two hours and 40 minutes is grueling. Yeah, it is. It is. And in those instances where I couldn't do that, I had a lot of group projects set up in advance where I would give them like, hey, this next hour is yours. Go work together as a group. Yeah. And that's how I I would divide that up. And I did that for three years. So six semesters. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, we did the same thing. I had, uh, actually, I think Mark, isn't Mark Schaefer at Rutgers? No. Yes. He is. So Schaefer, actually, he's the one that brought me into Rutgers. Ah, gotcha. So he put together a program with me and Ian Cleary. Mm-hmm. Out of Ireland, mm-hmm. and Razor, uh, social razor, razor social, something. Like that. Yeah, razor social, mm-hmm. and uh, we put together this program, and yeah, it rocked. And it doesn't require a lot of uh, time because yeah. we pre-recorded everything. That's awesome. Yeah, I had Mark was actually he was one of my uh, speakers at UCLA, I and mean, I had him because he came out with the book. Oh my god, the, his most recent one. 
known. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so what he did is he, I had him speak because that's what we would do. I mean, I try to fill the time as much as I feel like I'm entertaining and strikingly good looking three hours of listening to me. <laughs> it's just like, Jesus, there's gotta be a better thing. In life dude, dude, I've been there, like, been there, been yeah, there. It's too funny. Too funny. Yeah. Guest speakers were definitely a, a goal. We did some group work as well. So that's kind of cool. So how did you like, I mean, how did you jump into digital marketing? So you, you graduated with an entrepreneur degree. When did you graduate? What year? From 99. College? 99. See, so it's funny. So I graduated, I graduated 93 from high school, but when I went to college, I went to a few different colleges. I finally ended up over at that Sac State where I graduated here, local college. And they, it's so funny, like the entrepreneur, it's funny, graduate entrepreneurship because at my college at that time, there was only one course to take. And so there wasn't really like that actual degree of, you know, being an entrepreneur. So tell me a little bit about that, about taking that and like, how did that transition And obviously you're going into entrepreneurship, you're going to start your own business, but how did that transition into the digital world? Like, how did you make that transition? Yeah. So I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I consider myself an intrapreneur. So I've never done anything on my own. I've always worked with partners mm-hmm. uh, to build stuff. Yeah. So for me, Believe it or not, I started off studying accounting, <laughs> which I look back at and I'm like, whoa, I studied accounting. That's crazy. Yeah, I can't even so, spell accounting. Let yeah. Do it. So I went through that, that program and I realized as a junior, I'm like, this is not for me. I got to do something else. And I started doing research and one of my best friends was, uh, he went into the new entrepreneurship. It's mm-hmm. brand new. I'm like, you know what? That sounds good. I should do that. So I did and finished it and I graduated and I'm like, you know what? I'm more of an intrapreneur than an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And that's how I have approached my career as an intrapreneur. So I've worked for many startups, successful, not successful, so on and so forth. And um, yeah, that's really what I jumped into, entrepreneurship, not entrepreneurship. Mm, gotcha. And then, then how did that transition to like the digital world? I mean, so you've always, I mean, you obviously have your own business, right? I mean, you have a number of businesses, right? And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Like the digital space, like how did you physically get into the digital? I mean, was obviously was kind of at that point, the internet was coming around. There was some cool stuff that was happening. I mean, it sounds like you were kind of at the, the forefront of that kind of coming about. Yeah. So in 99, I graduated and I took a sales job. I was told by one of my mentors in college that sales is where you need to start. He told me that the majority of CEOs at some point were in sales. So I thought, hey, CEO, that's successful. Start in sales. Maybe I should start in sales. So I looked into sales and uh, found myself with uh, Pitney Bowes in uh, 2000. Pharmaceutical? No, Pitney Bowes does printers and uh, mail machines. Uh, Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's right. I do remember seeing those. Yeah. I don't know how they do today, but back then they were huge. Mm. So I went to work for Pitney Bowes and I had a regional territory that I would travel to and I meet with lots of small business owners. And this is 2000. Now the web had been around, but small business didn't embrace the web until about that point. And I had people hit me up as I was going through my normal work, like, hey, you're the young kid. You know about this web stuff. 
tell me about it. And I'd have conversations. And anyways, what ended up happening was that they would ask me to help hook them up with folks that could make them a website. So that's what I did. And I had my own um, network of people, that a designer and a web dev, and I'd connect them. So I was like the consultant. Yeah. So from 2000 to the end of 2000 till about 2004, when I went to Iraq, that's what I did all the time. I was the web guy. I'd get phone calls, small business owners I didn't even work with. Hey, can you help me with the website? So-and-so said, you knew what you were talking about. So I did. And then I went to Iraq. I went to OIF3, Operation Iraqi Freedom 3, in 2005. And I came back in 2006, and then I went full-time in the business. So I spent literally from 2000 till late 2004. So that's crazy. So let's, so this is a thing like, and why did you, I'm just out of curiosity, like joining the military, like you were out of college. It sounds like you were starting to kind of get some things going. Cause you, I can tell already that you're that person that's like, Hey, I want to do this. And then like, if we were sitting next to each other and I was like, Hey, you know, I was kind of thinking about doing this. You're like, yeah, Hey, I'm going to go do it. And then I would look next to me and you'd be gone and you'd be doing it. Like, I don't think you, there's no for you, it's like once you set your eye on something, it's kind of like it doesn't, there's really nothing that should get in your way unless it wants to get hurt or something, right? I mean, I kind of feel like you're that guy that just goes. And so how did the military play into this thing? Yeah. So basically, I mean, it's simple. 9-11. 9-11 happened. I saw it. I'm like, you know what? I'm not getting any younger. If I do this, now's the time. And I did it. I pulled the trigger. So it's, God, dude, we have some weird, weird connections between you and I. So I actually, after 9-11, it was two days after 9-11, I'll never forget it when it happened. I remember college, I remember coming downstairs, I remember everything about it. Two days later, I tried to sign up for the military and they wouldn't let me sign up because I had asthma. And so what I did was the, the recruit that I called, I was like, hey, and he's like, kind of, we're going through the whole questionnaire thing. And he's like, why do you want to join us? Well, you know, obviously 9-11, there's some stuff that happened. And I said, I just want to, you know, I'd like to figure out what we can figure out. My family wasn't a military family by any means, right? So this wasn't like, my mom found out later that I went and tried to you know join the military and she wasn't super pumped about that. I mean, very, you know, pro-US, but just wasn't, you know, the military just didn't, that wasn't really on. My mom always protected me from getting into the there because she was always worried about my safety, you know, just a mom protecting her son. But I tried to get in. And so the guy was like, yeah, you, you have asthma. We can't, we can't take you. And I was like, well, how about this? I'm, let's hang up. Let's try this again. I'll call back. And then we can, you can ask me the questions again. He goes, I can't do that either. Cause I was like, you know, like I, we can, you know, just ask me the question again. I know that I know the right answer now. Like I didn't know the right answer before. Like, and so I was, yeah, I was pretty adamant. Obviously they let you in and didn't let me in, but that's funny. Yeah. I was, that was a very pivotal time, pivotal moment for me in my life of like, wow, this is like, like, I want to go Probably was a little emotional. That was different. Definitely was very emotional just because of what happened there. But that's interesting that you went and served your country. I think that's awesome. And I want to thank you for your service. That's phenomenal that you did that. Oh, you're welcome. It, it, it made me the man I am today. Yeah, that's, I kind of wish I would have known where, you know, I mean, I think everybody has their path and I don't know what would have changed for me if I would have taken that path, but I figured that there was somebody up there that says, hey, we don't want Shane in the military for whatever reason, right? So that's not much I could do. I, I try to do my part of getting involved, but that's awesome you were there, man, that you did your part. Thank you. Thank you. So let's, did the, I mean, and I don't know if this is going to kind of lead into this. I mean, did the military, like you have multiple companies and multiple stuff that you do. Like, how do you keep that, how do you manage that workload? I mean, I'm thinking, is that, did the military help you with like, you know, systemizing things? Or have you always been somebody that's been really organized? And I mean, you've got a lot of projects going on, right? I think as we all do, we get in this weird sick mind of like starting more and more stuff. Like, how do you manage that? Like, what are your, like for your workload and stuff like that? It's a lifestyle, basically. I mean, technically, I think I have 10 jobs. <laughs> 
I sit on um, three uh, advisory boards. That's not a lot. I mean, just when they hit me up, I answer them. It's virtual, so it's not a like a big time commitment. Yeah, I'm on the uh, Governor's Council of Cybersecurity for the state of Indiana. That actually is a lot of work. They hit me up via email constantly. Then, of course, my full time job with Empowered. Yeah. As their VP of marketing, I don't have a staff, so I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. But there's some negative downsides to that as well. Yeah. I don't have the support that I would like. Yeah. As far as my being a columnist on lots of different websites, they don't really bug me too much. I send them content when I come up with it, but it, it's strategic. It's, it's for empowered. Yeah. Um, and then, a. uh, I'm on the speaker circuit. When I travel, travel messes me up because I'm I'm off the grid. I sometimes can get internet on the plane. Sometimes I can't. Yeah. And if it's a long flight, it's a long flight. And then I lose nine hours or 12 hours or whatever it is. But yeah, I juggle it and I make it work. Yeah, I know. Traveling is hard. I mean, it's, I know when I, especially if you go international, I mean, when I go international, my calendar is just absolute array. I mean, I don't, you know, obviously I'm not looking forward to having a, a call at 3 a.m., you know, not knowing where they're at, what's going on. So that's, that is always a challenge. In fact, we've been kind of putting processes in place right now so that I can do more of that um, and so that the team can kind of take that on. So when you, because you do so many different things, I mean, do you, you have to have a team, right? I mean, do you have, are you, you kind of a, you a, a single gunslinger and you just got all kinds of outsourced people or what do you do? I mean, you can't, you got a lot of stuff going on, bud. As if, oh, you know, I, know, I know that's a newsflash for you. I know you didn't know that until I just told you that, but um, you're like, you have no idea. <laughs> it's so I'm a one man show at my main company where I work, where I make my money. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, begging and pleading for support across departments Yeah, up to the founders across to different departments. That's just the nature of the beast right now. That will change soon, I'm yeah. hoping, knock on wood. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a one-man show as of now. And it sucks. I'm used to having a staff, but I just need to make proof of concept, uh, get some revenue in, which is happening, yeah. and then I'll get the people I need. Gotcha. And that's on the empowered side, right? Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Cool. And so let's talk about, because I know one of the main reasons we're talking today is like content amplification. And I know that you just came, didn't you just do the the guide to native content amplification? So you just, you just, writ, when did you write that? I think just recently. Yeah. Yeah. So we published that just before the new year and it's out there. It's free. It's available at chadpollitt.com. Uh, it's at the top of the website. So it's, yeah, feel free to uh, download it. I wanted to put together a very poignant piece that went directly to how do you do this? Mm -hmm. I wanted to cut through the crap and get directly to the point. And that's what I did in this particular piece. And that's why it's so valuable. And it's blowing up, actually. Social Media Today, Native Advertising Institute, and Mm Relevance.com. All three of those have promoted that ebook because it's it's good stuff. If you want to amplify your content in a paid way via native advertising or social, it's a must download and it's free. Hmm. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Well, you're always pumping out great ebooks. I mean, you always, 
I always see, I mean, like I said, I know we've downloaded quite a few of your eBooks and read them because just the content you put out there. And that's what's intriguing to me is that you're, you know, one person team and I don't know how you do it. I, I have 33 employees and I, I still feel like I don't have enough. So I don't know how you do it with just that, but you, I, I do know that the content you put out has, has been epic and the content amplification thing Thank you. is big just because it's like, I mean, like it's one thing to write content, right? But it's another thing to get it out there. Right. And I think that's what a lot of people miss is like, you can have once again, the best product in the world, but if you're not marketing to the right people, same thing with this, you have great content, but how do you amplify it? How do you get it out there? So give us a little bit. I mean, obviously I'd highly recommend everybody download it, but like, give us some, can you give us some key points on amplification? Like if if somebody doesn't, can't download it, they're in their car right now or something like that. Like if there was some, some good little nuggets of information from Chad, like what would you tell them? Yeah. So I'm going to give you a top level idea of amplification. So we live in the world of AI today, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Now, Every single platform or network will tell you they native advertising. We've got native advertising. And they'll tell you we have artificial intelligence on top of that native advertising, which is cool. But you have to ask yourself the question, what does this artificial intelligence optimize towards? Okay. So you, as a content marketer, what do you want to accomplish? Do you want to optimize clicks? on your articles? Or would you prefer to optimize engagement on your articles? I mean, what do you think as a content marketer? Do you want people to engage with your content or click on a headline? No, I don't care about clicks. I want engagement. I want people to be engaged. Exactly. Empowered is the only company in the world that optimizes using AI towards engagement. Only one. In fact, we only charge for engagement. So if somebody clicks on a native advertising unit on Facebook and they spend 10 seconds on that content and bounce, we don't charge it. Mm. We're trying to change the whole game. It's not about interruption anymore. It's about being native and it's about actual content engagement. And we're trying to change all of advertising using this methodology in our AI. So it's interesting, but that's, and that's, and of course, I'm sure there's every other platform in the world that hates you guys because that's what they don't want, right? <laughs> they, right? They want to be able to say, hey, if you were on the website for 0.2 seconds, you should be charged. I mean, Facebook is pretty extreme in the sense that, I mean, you can be anywhere on the page and the people don't even have to scroll down and they consider it a view or a conversion or yeah. they, they have pretty loose metrics when it comes to that. I know that our clients will be like, oh, look, I had 27 conversions. I'm like, um, how are sales though? I'm like, I don't know if that's really a conversion. So uh, that's interesting. I didn't really, I haven't really, I mean, other than what I've seen in the, some of the stuff that you've done, I'll have to take a look at the platform because that's really interesting, especially from an AI standpoint, to be able to look at that only paying for engagement, which is really the key. That's what we want, right? Engagement in anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the alternative is paying for conversions, but th- that's more of a direct response type mm-hmm. content engagement. I mean, we do that, but it's not the core of what we do. I mean, we know there's a middle and top of the funnel yeah. and much more of that content is being produced. So there needs to be a channel where we can amplify that content and then charge based on KPIs that people want, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we could work with content marketers all day long on conversion metrics, but that's bottom of the funnel content. And we know most people aren't 
creating bottom funnel content. They're creating middle and top funnel content. Mm -hmm. So that's where our platform really, really helps brands. So how does that work? Like explain to me the process. So I'm, I'm a content marketer. So what I do, I mean, I, is it like in the back end and then you put the content up and then you're linking to it somehow and then it sees the end? Like what, like give me, kind of explain to me the process on how that would work myself if I wanted to go take a look at it and then how does that work? So as a content marketer, there's three things we can help you with. So let's say you're doing own media, which most content marketers do. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have some sponsored content. So, so you're working with the New York Times. And let's say that the Huffington Post wrote a great article about your company. Okay, so earn media. Mm-hmm. Um, all three of those we can amplify and get it in front of people on over 40 networks social and native and really get it out there. And then what our AI does is through machine learning, it figures out who's the most likely audience to spend 15 seconds or more with this content. Mm. And then it optimizes towards that. So that's basically in a nutshell, what our platform does. Huh. That's interesting. All right. I'm going to take a look at it because I'm all, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I told you I got a pretty big team that does a lot of the amplification for us. We use some softwares and stuff, but I might have to uh, we'll have to chat about that because I, I definitely would like to see how that goes. We've got a oh for sure initiative. Yeah, that'd be awesome for sure. And and by the way, it it's the same thing with uh, like app downloads and and other things in the uh, content marketing world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when you talk about okay, gotcha. And then how do you think? So when we talk about like the the like content amplification and like. Or, I mean, what do you, how does that tie in when you think when it comes to like SEO or you're like organic rankings and stuff? Because like, I guess I want to explain to the, the people that maybe, I mean, some people obviously I think would understand what content amplification is, but like, how does that help you? Like, what is the benefits of it other than getting the word out? I mean, is it like SEO benefits? Like, what would you see as the, like being the big benefits of the application that you guys do? So the main benefit is actually getting it in front of relevant people. Yeah. The right people. Yeah. So the right people at the right time on the right platform. So that's the main benefit. From an SEO perspective, now I go back um, last decade. I've been an SEO for like 12 years. So I've seen the evolution. I know it. I know Google's um, recommendations, so on and so forth. I can tell you that our platform at this point um, does help you in SEO. And here's why. If you write an article and you use paid media to send 20,000 people to that article, Google notices that. And Google thinks, huh, maybe this article is important. And Google will reward that article. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast, right? Now, if you dig into the, the details of what Google says, Basically, they tell you paid media does not help you at all. But we know that traffic to a page helps in organic search. And in this situation, it absolutely helps. That just makes sense. I mean, the fact that more you get more eyeballs on it. I mean, Google wants to see traction with articles, right? So that just helps the situation if you can amplify, especially to the right crowd. I think that's the key to the whole thing is that through AI and machine learning, it's like going to the right people, right? That's the hardest part. Yeah, I can send this out to 10,000 people, but is it the right people? Right? Would I have 10,000 of whatever might be potentially the right people or would I have 500 or 1,000 of the right people, right? The idea of this is like, is really, really drilling down and making sure that right, that perfect client is, is potentially a perfect potential client is potentially seeing your content. Yeah. I think it's yeah. big. 
So I would say if we talk about any kind of a secret recipe, it sounds like your secret recipe is not so secret. It's in power. That's, that's, that's who you're, that's, that's who you guys, that's who you're working with. And that's who you're, you're putting your content through. So it sounds like uh, once again, not so, not so much a secret anymore, I guess. Yeah. So let me throw this out. So, and again, I apologize to your audience. I've been sick since Thursday. What I've learned from doing research is first of all, the average television executive for every $1 they spend on creative, they spend $5 on distribution, on amplification. The average content marketer does the opposite. They spend $5 on creation and $1 on distribution. Now, this is changing, and some brands are doing a good job of not doing that. But basically, most of the industry is where I just described. And that, that's going to change. It's changing and it has to change. We have a legacy of people in our industry from last decade that are used to the publish and pray. So last decade, we could literally hit publish and Google and the social media networks would take care of everything and it would drive all the traffic and KPIs we needed. Mm -hmm. It's not like that today for most industries. Yeah. Unless you're a snail farmer, you pretty much, you need to think about the five to one ratio, $5 on distribution, $1 on creative. You can't swap those today in most industries. And then, so tell me about the snail farmer. Why do they not have to? No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> that, that makes sense to me. So that's kind of, yeah, that is, that's kind of an interesting way to look at things, right? Because it is the amplification. I have a, a company that we work with. It's, they're called Lumanu and they do the amplification of like, um, of like influencer marketing campaigns, um, which is kind of interesting because it's like, hey, it's one thing to you know, influencer marketing five, six years ago. It was like, hey, you just put up a picture of you with your creatine bottle and then all of a sudden all kinds of sales would come through. Well, now it's, it's a different deal, right? Like how do you amplify that content? I mean, how do you take that content and continue to add run, do- run ad dollars to it and then keep it going, right? So I think that's that's what you want to figure out. And it's, I think it's more effective in the sense that you don't necessarily have to pump out more content. You just have to be able to promote the right content. Right? Exactly. Which is exactly. the key. Exactly. Yes. Which I think it's finding, you know, which content is you're getting some traction on and then really putting some money behind that because, and having a goal. I think that's another thing that people from a content perspective, a lot of people don't like know what their, what their goal is. Right, right. What are you trying to do with the content? Like you're producing content. There needs to be a goal in mind. And I think people in the beginning, I know I wouldn't produce content with any goals. My my goal was just to get some content out. It was Tuesday, for God's sakes, right? I have, you know, it's supposed to be out Tuesday at 8 a.m. So now it's like now it's obviously with keywords and all the other fun stuff. Now we're looking at a situation where, you know, we're going to be a lot more strategic about why you put content out and how you distribute it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what would be, I mean, what are three softwares you can't live without? It doesn't have to necessarily do with, with distribution of content, but like what are three softwares that you're like, if I didn't have this, life would be just terrible. Anything, <laughs> any, anything too exciting, fun you can share? So for over 10 years, I've been a TweetDeck user. TweetDeck, yes. Love TweetDeck. I've never messed with uh, Hootsuite or any of the others with yeah. the columns. Yeah, that's a big one. SEM Rush is awesome. Yeah. I love SEM Rush. It's not perfect, but you know what? It gives me the data I need to make decisions. Yeah. Love it. I mean, I hate to say this, but Google Analytics gives me what I need mm-hmm. to do my job. And I'm in it every day. And I appreciate it. So I think those are the three that I would say. 
So it's funny, TweetDeck, I still have TweetDeck and I still use TweetDeck. So I haven't heard TweetDeck in a long time. In fact, when you said TweetDeck, I said, I think that's what I use. It's been so long since I've actually like, you know, I didn't couldn't think of the name. So TweetDeck is absolutely, I use SEMrushes. I use that once again, where my team's in there all day long. That's, a, that's, like a, that's like a given when it comes to, you know, keywords and cluster keywords and all the other fun stuff that, that goes into SEO or any kind of content creation. We do it for our clients as well. So we'll blog articles we write and put the keywords in there and monitor them. So it's, there's a lot of different stuff. I love SEMrush because there's just so many different, they're always coming out with new stuff and trying to, you know, they did just recently, they did like the, um, what is it? Like if you go and you get, you know, brand mentions and stuff like that, I think that's, they're, they're kind of critiquing them. I'm helping them critique that a little bit because there's, there's some issues there. But anyways, well, I guess in a nutshell, SEMrush is always evolving and they've got some good stuff going there. So it's kind of fun to be able to see that. It's kind of cool you use that as well. Yeah. You know what? I'll throw out there, I'll juggle Google Analytics with uh, BuzzSumo. Mm, yeah, yeah. Love BuzzSumo. Love me some BuzzSumo. So here's the thing. I use BuzzSumo to tell me, A, what headlines rock, Yeah. right? And B, what content resonates with people to the point where they share it and link to it. I use BuzzSumo every day as well. So BuzzSumo and Google Analytics, you can juggle them, but I love both of them. Yes. I know Stephen and Susan over there, they do a phenomenal job. And they, they're just, they're one of those, we get that same as well. We get brand mentions that will come, they get pulled in. They, they, it's kind of funny. I get more brand mentions. They're able to find more brand mentions than like Google alerts for me, which is kind of funny because you'd think that Google alerts would have, you know, would know everything. It's all knowing you'd think. <laughs> but Sumo is definitely the one that has a fuller report for me. And we do the same thing, you know, go look at content that did well and who shared it and who linked to it. So it's, that's when you really get a tool that what works like, like what you're saying and then how we use it as well. It's just phenomenal. Like once you really understand how to use it, it's like, it's kind of crazy with the amount of like the information that's out there, right? For us, I mean, obviously as marketers to be able to go and take a look at your competitors and things that are going on and, and how you can optimize that and make things better. is always kind of fun to, once you get a good, a good system in place, it's kind of fun to, to kind of take that on. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because uh, you mentioned Google alerts. It stopped working for me for some reason. Yeah. And then I just moved straight to BuzzSumo and then never went back. Yeah. The only reason I bring up Google Alerts is because like on some of my presentations, if somebody's looking for a free option, but I'm like, the crazy part is Google Alerts will send me maybe, maybe two a month. And usually it's because there's a guy, Shane Barker, that was killed. Like, I'm not kidding you, like in like New Zealand. And so like, we're looking, looking for his killer. We've got this. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like, what? I'm like, what do you mean killer? I'm like, this doesn't even have to do with me. So this poor guy in New Zealand that got, I got murdered. I know more about this guy in New Zealand than anybody because I get his alerts every day. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, hasn't really worked that well. I use mention.com as well just to kind of back that up a little bit. But yeah, it's interesting for sure to, to be able to do that. It's nice to be able to get that kind of information because it's there's so much information out there when you're, you know, it's nice to be able to have that be sent in through an email and then you receive it. So, oh, cool. So how many eBooks have you written? You've written a lot of them. I know there was one like the Global Guide to Native Advertising Technology. Like what are some, I mean, how many how many eBooks have you written or do you even know? You probably have to go count right now. And you- It's over 10 now. I, it's either between 10 and 12. If you go to chadpollard.com, you'll see my most recent ones. Now, there's other ones I've written that um, I've retired mm-hmm. because, you know, our industry changes. Yeah. So I pulled them. But yeah, go to chadpollard.com. There's, I think, around 10, maybe 11 there. Mm-hmm. 
And then, so with each one of these, what is your process for when you, when you get some content together like that? I mean, I know everybody has their own processes. I mean, you've obviously got a good process down because you're writing, you know, you're, you're running the 10, 11, 12 books that you've written in regards to eBooks. Like, what is your process for doing that? Like, how do you get the content together? Like, how do you go about it? I mean, obviously lots of research. Yeah. So I actually spend one to three hours a day reading. I mean, my bosses probably wouldn't like, (laughs) but uh, to do what I do, you have to do that. Yeah. As far as my process goes, it's like making sausage. It's not a process that you would, that any company would come in and say, hey, this is a great process. Yeah. Um, It's my mind working on the front, the back, the side. It just me making it happen. What I tend to do is create content over time on other websites and bringing that content together Mm -hmm. and then setting up those transitions between those articles to make it read like a book. Mm -hmm. And that's generally my process, but I'm all over the place, man. I mean, I'm at the top, I'm at the bottom, I'm on the side, I'm in the middle. It's everything. Yeah, that sounds like me. So as you, as you, and I, I like how you slipped, uh, you kind of slipped in the sausage thing. So tell me about your your eating habits, bud. I've looked at your Instagram. You're you're a little bit of a foodie like myself, and maybe some alcohol <laughs> involved. Like let's let's chat a little bit about that. I'm a like, like I just had to put myself on restriction for like two weeks and try to lose a few pounds because. I'm, and I'm staring at your Instagram. I'm not going to follow you because you're not going to help me lose weight. But <laughs> tell me a little bit. You look like you're, you're quite the, the, the cook and you always like to come up with some really cool stuff. Explain to me, how did this, how did this come about when you're jumping in? I mean, I'm looking at it right now and I, I'm probably drooling on my computer a little bit, which is not recommended. But <laughs> like, what do you got going? Like, is this all you? Like, are you, you good? You get in the kitchen, you make magic happen or what? Yeah. So I've got a, uh, a smoker, mm. Weber smoker, a Weber gas grill and a Weber charcoal grill. So I've got all three. And yeah, I will throw a hunk of something like some pork on the smoker for 12 hours. Mm. I'll cook a smaller piece of, of say, beef on the uh, charcoal grill for four hours. Or I'll, I'll cook some chicken on the, the gas grill. It's just something I like to do. It relaxes me and it's good food. So yeah. that, that that's my story. I take pictures of it and put it on Instagram. There we go. There we go. I got to be honest, man. I wish you lived closer. I mean, I'm just saying that now that we could become best friends and stuff since we pretty much were <laughs> the only white dancers in America. I mean, I just felt like well, there was a connection there. That's awesome. Yeah, I can tell by your food, man. It looks good. I'm, I'm a, I don't even post half the food. There was, there was a certain point where I quit posting tons of food and quit posting what I was drinking. Cause I thought people were just going to think I have a problem or maybe I realized I did have a problem or a solution. I don't, I, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I was like, <laughs> now that man, I was looking at this thing I used to put. So there was a, a good buddy of mine that owns, there's a, a, like a beer thing you can put in all your beers. And there was a certain point where I was like, I don't think I have a problem, but I'm like, I don't know if this is the, my ratio of like, of having fun and drinking beer side, like a little beer club. I owned a thing called NorCal brews, which was a, a website that we would do beer, you know, like, whatever, like reviews and stuff like that. So it was fun. But anyways, maybe too much fun, but it was uh, definitely a good time. Definitely a good nice, time for sure. Nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah, yeah. So what about you? You, uh, well, you like a, you like beer? Are you a whiskey guy? Scotch? What are you, what's your, are you equal opportunity or? So I've got a bar at my house. I just mm-hmm. actually installed it. It was actually pretty cheap. I bought it off Amazon. I got a refrigerator. I have guests over occasionally and uh, we use the bar. I'm more of a vodka drinker. Mm-hmm. occasionally drink beer 
not much of a wine drinker. I, if I do, I drink white wine, but I got it all available for guests when they come over. So it's all in the bar. Yeah, there we go. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and book a, a book a flight right after this. This is awesome. I'll come on down. We'll have a, a, have a vodka drinking contest or something. Um, <laughs> cool. So we're going to be finishing up this podcast here in a little bit. So tell us something. What do you dislike about being a marketer? Obviously, there's a lot of fun stuff. Actually, tell us what you like and what you dislike. Like, what was if there was something you said, hey, listen, there's something I want to change about being a marketer or something about the industry. What would that be? Oh, that's easy. All right. That's it, huh? I hate this thing. That iPhone. Most weekends, if I can swing it, I don't touch it. Just turn it off. Yeah. Plug it in, get rid of it. Being constantly connected is annoying. I mean, it didn't used to be. It used to be gratifying as I came up. But, you know, being in this business since 2000, 2001, when you're off, you want to be off. Yeah. You can't with this. Yeah. You can't. So, and it sucks. Yeah. I'm with you on that. It's funny. So I just, so my schedule back in the day, I used to really have it pretty somewhat controlled. Now I say back, back in the day, I was terrible. 20 hours a day was a nightmare yeah. for everybody involved. Me with too. Me, me just, too. Like there was all, you know, it was all, all gas, no break. Right. But yep. just recently, I just moved my schedule back to where I, I don't do anything before 9 a.m. Right. And it's, so it's my morning times. I'm working out. I'm doing this. I'm walking, whatever I want to do, like more me time. And now I, and I'm done at five, man. And it's, and now it's, but we've been in, we've been doing this a long time. Right. So this isn't like, I'm not recommending that if you just started your marketing business that you should start, you know, holding your hours and only work for six hours or something. Like the idea is, is that we have people that will help. But I think for me, is I realize that like, what am I, I don't want to be a slave to work. Right. Like there's, there's, we, we've worked really hard to get to this point And now there's a smarter way of doing things. And it's not, not necessarily working more hours. And so, you know, when you look at efficiencies and stuff like that, I appreciate that. And I, I haven't fully like this. Let me give you an example. This weekend, I didn't work at all. No, that's, no I just lied to you. I did. I worked Saturday morning for two hours, but that was just because I wanted to get in and knock this stuff out. I didn't work yesterday at all, which is, you know, for if my wife's listening and she's like, yeah, that's like the one time this year that, that he didn't work uh, on, the, on the weekend, right? So she'll probably call me out a little bit, but I am trying to switch that up a little bit, man, because I think it is important to have that time where you're not just go, 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 right? And I think the phones and the technology, once again, at first was a blessing. You're like, oh, now I can jump on this and respond right away and do things. And then later on, you're like, man, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a slave to the phone, you know, kind of like I'm everything it bings and does this and does that. And I mean, the phone was designed for that in mind, right? To keep you on it, right? I mean, they, they you know, the psychology of it and the binging the noises and all this and your messages coming in, things are buzzing. I mean, there's a, there's a reason for that, right? They want you to pick up that phone and, and be engaged. And I think, you know, Apple just came out. It's funny. Now they have their, like, oh, this is your, what is it? Screen time, which is kind of sobering, you know, when I get this thing and it's like, yeah. oh, hey, your, your screen time of five hours a day. And I'm like, Jesus, no. And I could say, hey, I'm a marketer and I do a lot of stuff online and I want to see stuff. But man, it's kind of a sobering experience when you're like, yeah. God, I spend yeah. that much time. Like, what could I do with that five hours? Like volunteer, anything like make cooking, whatever this is, anything other than, you know, I mean, that's one of the things just recently where I was like, I'm gonna start working out again. Long story short, I hurt my back, CrossFit, and leg went numb. It's a long story. But I felt myself like sitting on a couch looking at Instagram for 20 minutes, you know, before I'm eating or something. Like, what am I doing? Like, get out and do something. Like, move around or something. So, anyways, I've changed some of those things recently. But it it is kind of an interesting deal on how we, you know, once again, being connected was so great because now, oh, my God, I can do everything from my phone. And the other crappy part is like, damn it, they've got me, you know, like. I can't, yeah. I can't get away, you know? And so I think it's, that's always, a, that's, a, that's kind of a harsh reality. It sucks to, to have to do that, you know, it's like to be that connected, but like to be able to, to disconnect, I think is a gift, you know, if you're able to do it. 
So, so check this out. So, um, for Christmas, I went to uh, the Dominican for two weeks. I try to do that twice a year. Mm-hmm. I know people down there. But anyways, I went down there and my phone got stolen within like three days. And I was literally disconnected. Literally. <laughs> and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been so thankful that somebody stole my phone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm pissed. I mean, it's a thousand dollar phone. I could have, well, I plan on giving it to my kids. So that was disappointing. But yeah, the fact that I didn't have it for that vacation, it was amazing. And I can't, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it was amazing. I was literally disconnected for two weeks. Yeah. It's funny. So I, like I said, probably more last few years, I really tried to put things in place to where, I mean, I remember reading something a long time ago that like, you know, if you, if you don't really have a business, if, if you're not there and the business isn't still running, right? Like where it's a situation where like, you feel like if you have to be in the middle of it, then you don't, you haven't really built a company, right? You've built some, right? right? right. And so, and I think that's always been something for me. It's like, if something was to happen to me, would my company continue? And that, that's always been, you know, because I don't want to have to always be in the middle of everything, right? I, I don't have to be. It's because I'm passionate about what, what I do. But they're just, and we're just like, just recently, we really kind of started to kind of like try to pull me out of the business more and, and do more of the speaking stuff and the consulting and all that stuff, which I've been doing anyways. But I'm, I, anyway, so it's been an interesting transition for me because it's, you know, it's my baby. So I, I always want to be in the middle of everything. And, and I've learned this over 20 years, man. You know, it's like you want to be in the middle of everything and you get to a point where you're like, hey, I don't necessarily need to, you know, it's the, the world's not yeah, going to end yeah. if this doesn't happen. Or if I don't respond to this email on a Saturday, like Monday, people will still be alive. Like I'm not like a brain surgeon, you know, it's not like I'm, it's not that what I do isn't that important. So I don't know. I just think that's a good, that's that's interesting for you. Have you ever thought about maybe hiring somebody to steal your phone and then give it back to you? Like maybe for like 50 bucks or something like at the end of the year, be like, Hey, sorry about that, Chad. Like I wanted to give you your phone back, but you're, you know, you're whatever your, your girls hired me to, to do this. And so here you go. And they're good. You get your thousand dollar phone back. <laughs> no, but, uh, I will tell you that, uh, my next vacation, I'm going to turn my phone off, plug it in, and leave it in the room. It's awesome. For sure. But I'll tell you, so that was uh, one side. The other side that's very positive about our industry is the camaraderie and the people you meet, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, Chad Pollitt meeting Shane Barker or whether it's us hanging out with uh, Mark Schaefer yeah. or Ian Cleary or anyone else in the industry. I mean, I've met so many great people around the world too, throughout Europe, uh, South America, um, Moscow, Russia. Uh, I've met some really awesome people and I have relationships with people that I cherish and I appreciate. And that's the biggest positive, I think, of our industry. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I do think it's, I like it because I'm, I'm a very open person, like with anything that I do, like anybody asks me, some people remember, you know, a long, long time ago, I feel like people would like, don't want to tell anything. Now everybody just puts everything online. It's awesome. Like, and, and the fact yeah. that when you meet those good people that are willing to share, cause it's like, there's plenty of business and all this for everybody. Like to me, there's like no reason to not like make it a collaborative effort. Like I don't look at anybody as a competitor and not in an ego type way, but just of a way of like, there's stuff I can learn from you and there's stuff you can learn from me. And there's more power in us working yeah. together to try to achieve that than to be competitors or whatever that, whatever that, you know, however you want to put that. But this has been awesome, man. I'm really, like I said, I'm, I keep saying this, but this is the reason why I started this podcast is so you know, I can go meet people 
and you know, maybe you and I will start a dance crew one day or something like that. Cause obviously <laughs> once we go back and go back and start it back up, well, I don't know what will be the, you know, ABCs because it'll be two of us now or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out what the name is going to be, but Chad, it was, it was an absolute pleasure uh, interviewing you today, but I really appreciate you being on the podcast and we got to stay in touch. Oh, absolutely. And Hey, it was my pleasure. And again, I apologize to your audience. I've, I've been sick, man for since thursday and i'm yeah. still rolling with it i know you're doing you're doing good but you're gonna be just over the hump here real soon all right awesome all right brother man you take care thank you for everything all right bud.